HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1, O-U-T-D-O-O-R, and the number one. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. On today's episode, we're talking summer scouting and strategies once again, but I'm talking to Rendell Eric this time, who's located in Iowa. I think this is a good contrast to the episodes that I just posted with Steve Shirk, since the terrain is very much different. However, you still see similar tendencies in many cases for what deer are doing throughout those summer months and how to capitalize and maximize your intel. We talk about boots on the ground scouting versus staying out, running trail cameras, where to place them, how often to check them, whether it's better to cluster them or spread them way out, mock scrapes, glassing, and even how to start to transition some of the intel into early season plans. Before we get started, I have a quick message about the Spartan Forge app, which you can get a 20% discount on by using the code DIY. The app allows you to do all of your standard mapping, navigation in the field, and waypoint management. You can currently choose from three different satellite views, topo, and in many areas, aerial imagery at multiple time points throughout history, view public and private lands, color code your permission status on those private lands, view all of your forecasted and historical weather info, add journaling entries for your hunts that automatically tag the weather conditions and wind for that time period, and view a deer movement prediction powered by machine learning based on collared deer studies across the country. I also have a walkthrough video posted on my YouTube channel that you can use to physically see the app in more detail. And with that, let's dive back into the episode. So this spring, you obviously did a ton of scouting. I think your, your goal was what, 200 miles walking or was it a hundred? Uh, something, some large 300. amount, 300. Okay. How close did you end up getting to that? I did like 280. Oh, come on. You couldn't have got 20 more miles. <laughs> no, I decided that was enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hit the extra 20 miles this summer. Okay. Well, that brings up, you know, Another, I guess, good question is that, especially this time of year, a lot of guys will have questions about, do you go into the woods? Do you stay out of the woods? And there's a lot of different opinions on what's too much or not enough intrusion, glassing, trail cameras, mock scrapes, all the different things that people talk about in the summer. How big of, how big of your overall plan for the year is summertime Intel? I'd probably say like, 25% 25% maybe, maybe a little bit more. If you had, but if you had just the spring, like early spring scouting or just the summer, I'm assuming you'd say skip the summer and do the spring. Yeah. I would just do postseason scouting anytime. Okay. Oh yeah. Definitely over the summer scouting. I get more out of the postseason than I do summer scouting most of the time. I mean, there's variables in there. I mean, there's, little situations and nuances that sometimes the summer will help you out more. But overall, I think 
postseason, you get way more value out of it than you do the summer scouting. First summertime for you, is it more about intel than anything else? Or I guess uh, like inventory, finding out what bucks are where? Yeah, which bucks lived, what bucks do I have where, uh, how soon are they getting to the fields, uh, locating like giant target bucks that I want to add to my hit list. I will do boots on the ground, but I don't look for the beds as much because they're a lot harder to find. It's more like summer bedding, and I'm not too worried about that. I'm more looking at like terrain features and stuff like that on new properties, or I'll just glass. Sometimes you can shine if it's legal in your state and go out after dark and uh, run a spotlight and see if you got any big bucks in a field on the public or close to it. And then I run like mock scrapes, trail cameras, just for inventory purposes, you know, to locate bucks I want to hunt. And um, yeah, just go with them there with the intel you gather. Depends on what intel you're getting off of what, how, depends on how I'm going to use it. Okay. Uh, so if you, well, let's break this, I guess, piece by piece, because they're all different ways of, of getting that similar information. Let's yeah. start with like roads and glassing. Would you ever get out and go to like a remote field to climb up a tree and glass it or sit in like the, the cover on the edge of a field and glass it? Or for the most part, are you just trying to cover as many like volume of spots just by like a vehicle? I do both. I'll run the roads um, on days. I think the deer are really going to be moving. And then I'll just set up and glass a bunch of different fields before dark and then there are the hidden fields I will sneak into, but they got to be set up to where that I think a buck's never going to get downwind of me and I'm going to blow it out early during the summertime and put pressure on that area. I want to be pretty far away and be comfortable knowing I can get in and out without spooking the deer. How big of a impact do you think that is? Like if you were to, let's say you go into one of those fields this time of year or even July, and you blow all the deer off that field, maybe they don't come back to that field during daylight for another week or two. I mean, do you think that that ultimately has an impact on how on edge or how killable some of those deer that you see are going to be? Or do you think it is maybe more of a short-term issue? I think it depends on what what your timing is. If you're going in Say you open in September 1st and you're going in in August, I think it'll have a big impact on you for your September 1st opener. But if I went in in August and I'm not opening up until, say, like Iowa on October 1st, I don't think it has that huge of an impact because you can give it time to cool off. But I'm mostly doing my summer scouting later into the summer, like the July, August, September part. Cause I think you get better Intel than early in the summer cause the racks are still growing. It's kind of hard to see what's going to be what. So I like to wait and maximize, maximize my time by being on the deer when I can tell what they're actually going to be. Okay. So then like this time of year, let's say like June or end of June, but before you start hitting the Intel or the, before you start hitting the glassing and whatnot really hard, are you going out and doing some boots in the ground checking or putting out trail cameras setting up mock scrapes or does all of that stuff kind of happen a little bit later in the summer for you? Yeah. I usually don't start that until July, mid July, late July around in there is my time frame to start 
get going. June's more of my like gear month. I'm messing with gear, trying to figure out what I want to run for the season, stuff like that. Try to get all that rounded up. And then like I kind of chill out for that month and get ready for the marathon of, you know, the fall time. Okay. And then with, I guess, the scrapes, I've tried it in the past a little bit. I've tried putting on mock scrapes in the summer and have had maybe mixed success with doing it. I always try and make sure that there's some kind of a licking branch or something if I'm putting out a camera in the summer. But it seems like <clears throat> there will be times where I attempt to set up a mock in the summer. And maybe it'll make it'll make, it'll make make it look even like it's a pretty good scrape. Like, you know, kick up some dirt, have a really enticing looking licking branch. Uh, but there's been cases even like that where, you know, the deer will still preferentially seek out and go to natural scrapes as opposed to the, the mock scrape. If it's a scrape that they've been using for several years and they're, they're really used to using that one. And obviously they can be a lot harder to find in the summer if, unless you have like a really trained eye to find licking branches and stuff like that. But it's when you're going to set up a mock scrape to put a camera over it and try and get some inventory details are you doing it in areas where you either don't know if, where there are natural scrapes? Do you sometimes choose to put cameras over natural scrapes? Or I guess, even if you know where the natural scrapes are, are you still going to try and put a mock scrape in an area where you think it's more beneficial? I'm usually, if there's a community scrape, I'm probably going to put my camera on the natural community scrape, but it's got to be set up a certain way. Like it's got to be a community scrape close to, the bedding is where I think is a potential spot where I'm actually going to hunt. Even my mock scrapes, I kind of run them in places that I would actually hunt. I'm really picking and choosing where I'm putting them. I'm not really putting them on field edges and stuff per se. I'm pushing them back in there, threading the needle kind of to catch what kind of mature bucks are using that actual bedding area that I found in the postseason. And I run like a kind of that vine style that Jeff Sturgis runs. Mm -hmm. I just hang the vine and I put my scrapes where they're just going to come by. It's I put mine like right on the trail or a thermal hub, something where the deer's already going to be. It's just more like an enhancer. I'm not really influencing the deer movement. I'm just adding it so the deer will stop work it and then I can get some trail cameras photos of it so I can like judge the rack what times it coming through, things like that to help me pick out if I want to hunt that buck or what time I think I need to be in there. And sometimes I'll leave them there all year, and sometimes I'll go pull them and move somewhere else. It just depends on what I feel like doing or what until I'm getting off the spot. And do you put any scent when you put up a mock scrape, or for the most part you're just letting the visual action of that, that vine do the work for you? I just pissing up myself. I drink a lot of Diet Mountain Dew, <laughs> but I get a lot of booners on them, so it must work. <laughs> Next question: the <laughs> so location wise, you mentioned you you put them in areas where it's more conducive to being like a spot that you would hunt in the fall, and this is maybe a question that's more specific to like the actual terrain and habitat that you're hunting. But do you find that the deer will shift a lot between July, August, September and October one? Like, do you find that sometimes those mock scrapes you're putting cameras over, maybe they don't get that much activity at all in the summer. 
and then all of a sudden like they just start showing up mid-october on those areas or will you find some of those scrapes where like it seems like year-round the mature bucks are hitting them yeah like the ones especially that are in between bedding areas that the deer use year-round they'll be on that thing every day of the year almost and then other ones i'll get a cool off period then during the fall they'll get really hot and i'll have bucks moving in on them and stuff like that but uh certain deer will move in and certain deer won't they'll stay they won't move out every you know every buck has its own personality some stay some don't i almost feel like the older mature deer like the four and a half the and older deer they kind of tighten up their core area maybe i don't really know like a mile maybe a square mile or something but they i find they tend to stay more than leave in my experience running cameras and stuff and spots where i find like the really mature bucks i kind of catch them during the whole fall but every now and again you'll have one that'll move out okay but for the most part it sounds like maybe there's somewhat of a mix where you might have some of those cameras where it's like the mature bucks on there even in july and there's other cameras where you put them out and it's like it starts to heat up a little bit later in the fall. Yeah, that's correct. Like that 200 buck, that 200 inch buck I was chasing, he stayed year round. He was always there. That one that I couldn't get, a, mm-hmm. I couldn't build, but I had pictures of him in the summer and I had pictures of him early fall, late November. I just could never close it in on him to get this, you know, to get the deal done. But then I've had other bucks I just see maybe once or twice in September and then I never see him again. I think it just depends on like the personality or maybe the spot you're at too. Um, if you run in a lot of field edges and big ag and stuff, I feel like those deer move a lot more than if you're back in like prime bedding areas and stuff. Yeah, that could be for sure. When you are putting up cameras, do you go with like a lower density camera, but over like a larger area? Like one or two cameras in this public piece, one or two cameras in this public piece. Yeah, I'm running like one or two cameras max and like the best spots. And then I'm going, I'm just covering as much ground as I can to try to find a wide variety of bucks at different places. I can hop around if the pressure gets hot or certain wind direction. Like I want to find as many deer as I can to be able to hunt. So I can always have a fresh sit on a different buck or I can get away from pressure or whatever. The buck's not there anymore by the time I'm hunting. Like a lot of situations, I just want to have a lot of options. So I'm just broadcasting the widest net that I possibly can. Is there ever a scenario where you do cluster a camera more? Like let's say you get a picture of like a, you know, just a mega giant. In that case, are you going to go start putting in, you know, five, ten cameras in one spot or do you still keep it pretty spread apart? Usually by the time that I find out he's there, I don't want to go in there and put my scent and more pressure on the area. So I don't really like the camera bomb with cameras because I just want to leave him alone. And I'm going to use the wind to tell me where I think he's going to be bedded at rather than the cameras. Because I don't per se use the camera to pattern a buck. I'm just trying to get one photo of a buck and then I'm going to use my knowledge of the area with the wind to decide where I think he's going to be at when I go into hunting. Okay. No, and that brings up a good point too, just in regards to, 
you know, not wanting to overpressure the area. How do you know, or I guess what's your strategy for frequency of checking cameras that you put out? Are you checking them every two weeks, checking them once or twice throughout the summer? Yeah, I probably only check them once during the summer, maybe in September. I might check them a couple of weeks before season, and then I don't check them as much during the season. I just try to stay out. If I go in and hunt, I'll check them if I hunt near them because I usually put them in places I'm going to hunt, and then I'll check it. A lot of my cameras are more soaker cams too. Like I'm just leaving them out all season. I'm not even going to use that intel until the next season because it'll give me the whole picture through the year. But I normally run that on new spots like that 280 miles I covered boots on the ground. It was all brand new public land I've never even been on. So I'll run a lot of soaker cams on those except for like the best spots that I think had the best sign. Then I might check check those once or twice. But I'm going to use my intel from all the cameras last year and go on and hunt a lot of those bucks and stuff like that. But I'll check in September to see if they're still alive or if I found any new bucks moving in, then I'll just stay out. Is it, is it pretty common where you're at to, let's say you have a couple that are really nice last year, like have most of them gone? Or does it seem like there's a lot of deer in your area that will get to a pretty old age? I think the bucks I find there's a really high percentage that maybe only a couple of them are going to get killed and a majority of them will live. And do you think that that's because of like the state that you're in and just like the average level and, and, um, I guess work ethic of the, the people around you, or do you think that that's more a function of those specific deer finding whatever nook and cranny and lifestyle that's allowed them to basically make it to however old they want to live? I think it's a combination of both hunting pressure, the skill level of people hunting a mature buck they're a little different when you hunt them they got a different mindset they act a lot different than a younger deer a lot of people are just rut hunting and i'm more of an early season hunter like i'm surgically extracting the buck instead of just sitting in like terrain features waiting trying to get lucky on one and then um the way the just the draw system works where it's like a new set of non-residents every year so it's like you got guys that don't have consistent intel so it's harder to get on the bigger deer i think and then and just my work ethic just getting on them constantly i think finding just out where they shift to the little nuances like you said the little pockets and things like that you know helps me stay on them when i think a lot of people might lose them okay yeah and i mean i've thought of, of similar things happening even where I'm at in areas where maybe there's more hunter pressure, but maybe the average, like there's out of every, let's say 20 guys who's hunting, maybe there's like two or three that are really spending a lot of time throughout the year out there. And what I noticed too, is even in some of those higher hunter pressure areas, if a buck gets to like three or four, he's probably going to make it to five and he's probably going to make it to six and then he's going to become a legend you know, that people like get pictures of or whatever, but he, he maybe gets killed in the rut. Maybe gets killed on some private piece when he's traveling during daylight. But it's like from the early and late season, he's like, he's whatever he's figured out is enough to evade most hunters. Yeah. I think like a four and a half year old and older buck, 
if they get through the Iowa gun season with the amount of deer drives and stuff we have here, I mean, he's a, he's a pretty smart buck. So I'm pretty confident that he's going to make it. If he's like a two and a half, three and a half year old with potential, I think he's got a high, higher chance of getting killed off than like a four and a half and older buck here. I mean, it does happen, but I think the odds of it happening are a lot smaller just because I think they're a little bit smarter. They act a lot different. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm kind of surprised a little bit that you spend so much time looking for new stuff, right? It's like always trying to find, scout this other new piece, this new piece, put soaker cameras here, cameras there, when you've probably already got a pretty good library of existing stuff. Like if we said no more spots, you're, you're stuck with whatever you've learned to this point. Like you'd have a lot of spots still already in that library. So what drives you to keep trying to find more? I think, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't even think I could even remotely hunt all the spots I have in one season. Like, I don't think it's possible, but for me, I just like covering that net and trying to find the biggest deer I can. So I like, you know, it's a venture to me. I love, I almost love scouting more than deer hunting, honestly. Like what's over there, what's, uh, over the horizon, you know, it's like a big adventure. I love it. I'm always learning stuff. I like to go to new terrains too. So if it's a new area, I'll pick like new terrains because I want to up my game. You did bring up something when we were talking and uh, text messaging about Andy May. He has that philosophy that you want to fill all your gaps in. If you're weak at something, you want to raise your game in that area. Mm-hmm. So I think I've been focusing on that mentality lately too. Like if I'm not good at marsh hunting, then I'm going to go scout a bunch of it and learn it if i'm struggling with like big woods timber stuff i'm going to go do that in hill country so i'm just trying to get a new terrain uh find more spots it'll help me get away from pressure and i just try to find like more big bucks so i have a cyclopedia of bucks i can get into on different winds i mean there could be a spot I drive by every day and never look at and i pop in there there might be like a 200 inch buck in there or something like i I just like the adventure of not knowing, like finding them is like a blast to me, I think. And you learn intel or sometimes I'll set up a scenario where it's like I'm going out of state. I got two days of scout and I'm going to hunt three days and I'll set it up like that where I just hop in a new place and I go as fast as I can. And I like challenge myself to see how fast I can break that property down to try to get better. It's almost like a practice run for like when I go out of state or if I have to jump into a place on the fly that I might happen to find during the season or something. Yeah. And last year, was that the first time you'd started going out of state a little bit more? I know you, you took that one trip kind of around the rut. Yeah. For the most part, I've hunted some other States before like Ohio. I've hunted Michigan before Virginia, uh, some other places too, but when you hunt Iowa every year, it's hard to want to leave and spend time somewhere else when you could be here hunting trophy whitetails every day. Yeah, well, that brings up a point, too, is that a lot of these western states, especially, I guess, Kentucky, too, and, and maybe Tennessee, but you know, some of these states have these real early seasons that start in September 1st, or in some cases, maybe even a day or two earlier. Are you ever interested in going and, and doing a hunt like that? where you, you can get the whole hunt out of the way before your Iowa opener even starts or you too worried that that cuts into your, you know, prime scouting time ahead of the season. 
yeah, my game plan from here on out is I want to hunt those early states. Uh, it's like going to be a warm-up, like get my mojo going, get my gear right, you know, get my practice run in. If I'm a little rusty, I'd rather be rusty out of state than in Iowa when I'm chasing 200 inches around. So I want to go September 1st, Nebraska opens, so I'll probably start there. And then Missouri opens like middle of the month, so I could hunt Nebraska for two weeks and I could hunt in Missouri for two weeks and come back to Iowa until I tag out. Then I could go back to either one if I didn't get an early season buck or I could bounce down like Oklahoma or like Wisconsin opens the middle of September too. I got some places up there I've been e-scouting and stuff. Instead of going to Missouri, I could pop up to Wisconsin and hunt up there. Um, so there's a lot of options. Plus I think being an early season hunter, I think I'll have more success hunting more early season situations and going out of state like on the rut i'm just not a huge fan of hunting the rut honestly yeah i mean it has it definitely can be nice in some regards but i mean for a guy like you who likes to kind of call your shots and and play that chess match i could definitely see and i know so that a lot of other people too that that are real strong early and late season hunters that they tend to not like hunting the rut as much yeah, it's just really hard to pattern the deer in the rut. Like, who knows where they're at? I mean, they could be with a doe anywhere. That doe's just controlling where they're going. They're not. Sometimes they'll be in the bedding areas I find postseason, but most of the time they'll be gone. And sometimes they come back, sometimes they don't. So, and then you got everyone's hunting the rut. So you got way more influx of hunters, a lot more pressure. So you're bouncing around those guys when. And the deer act a little different, you know, they're worried about breeding and stuff or early season, they're going from bed to food and food to bed and you just got to get somewhere in between to kill them. And I don't, I don't, I think it's actually easier to hunt early season. A lot of guys struggle early, but I like it a lot better than hunting in the right, sitting in like a funnel somewhere for a week straight all day long. I don't know. Just doesn't appeal to me. I just got to, I get down and start scouting and try to find something else during the rut. I hop around a ton in the rut. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and maybe when we do an early season focused podcast, we can dive more into that. But if you've got isolated food, it definitely makes that bed to food a lot easier to figure out versus if there's browse, if a browse is their primary mm. food source in early season, maybe there's no acorns or whatever feeding on forbs and whatever that can make it a little bit more challenging but um going back to you know you said you like to keep an encyclopedia of like all the deer that you find and kind of keep tabs of what's going on in the various properties and and by extension you're probably also figuring out like oh there's two new guys hunting this property this year and last year nobody was hunting that but is there like a certain number that you like feel comfortable it's like oh if i don't have at least like you know, tabs on this many deer I'd like to go after, then that means, you know, I got to keep working harder until I get that level of confidence. I like to have over 10 bucks, honestly, that I can chase around. I'd rather have more than that. Last year, I probably found 20 bucks that I would shoot. And I felt, I mean, you're sitting high hog if you got 20 bucks that you could go out and shoot. You know what I mean? Because you can go hard on these deer. And if you blow them out, you blow them out. Like you're setting up crazy setups on some of them because you don't really have to worry about 
losing. Like if you only had five bucks, I'd probably be a little more leery on how I'm setting up rather than if I have 20, I'm just going to go in there and just hunt them hard. And if I blow one out, I just hop to the next one and I'm keep going. And that was kind of how you, cause you shot one early last year. And that was kind of how that played out. Right. Like you just said, I got a perfect win for this, this spot. Well, you didn't even if I remember. You didn't even know that that deer was there. Like that was just, you had 20 bucks, you know, figured out or 20, aware of 20 bucks. And then you went to a totally different spot. <laughs> Yeah, I only, the story with that was, again, was my buddy wanted to go shed hunting, so I took him to this place I've never been to or hunted or anything, because it was like the terrain I wanted to look at, and I only found one set of tracks that I followed a little bit, and they just kind of faded off, but they were huge tracks, so I was like, oh, there's got to be a giant in here somewhere, and then the day I hunted it, I just kind of scouted my way in, and picked that secondary food source with those honey locust pods and set up with, I was within a hundred yards of that buck when he was bedded. And there was a bunch of other deer in there that layered out before he came out. But like, why, why did you go to that property? Like on that day versus some of the other ones that you had on your list? Was it just that specific wind? Did you feel like doing something different that day? Cause I, I feel like if I had, if I had a number of deer, like, located i'd be trying to figure out like okay out of out of these like which one's set up for whatever wind direction i have today and like which ones i still have time to get to before dark all that good stuff but like what was it about that that day that made you just scratch everything else off the list and go try something else just a gut feeling that the wind played out great for that and i just wanted to give it a try and i knew that there was a big buck in there and just the way it's set up, I knew I could get in there really clean and pretty quick because I kind of left later in the day than what I normally would like to. So it was something I could just roll right into, just kind of scout my way in fast. And I just, I don't know. It's just one of those gut feelings that I, I noticed younger when I was younger, I didn't listen to my gut and it always would mess me up. Like if my gut was telling me to set up somewhere and I didn't, there'd be a shooter that rolled right by that spot and I was somewhere else because I second guessed it and I used my head too much. And I don't, so I kind of learned to use my gut and someone was just telling me, Hey, go down here. Like it's where you need to be at, you know? So that's where I went. Okay. Well, hard to argue with that. It worked. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, definitely. And I figured, Hey, if nothing showed up, I'll be hunting, uh, I'll be on another buck the next day somewhere else, but it played out perfect for the wind. But the wind thing was the biggest, my gut in the wind direction. The wind was a little funky for a lot of the places and it was uh, October 11th. So a little early and uh, I just figured I'd just try it. If I blew it up, I blew it up. I just didn't really care. It was more like I didn't know it was there per se. So Mm -hmm. I guess I wouldn't be as nervous rolling in there and messing it up. Nothing to lose in that spot versus potentially blowing up one of the other spots that likely would not be better until later in the month. Yeah, for sure. I just had that no balls, no bucks attitude on that spot. Okay. So then as you get, let's say, July to August to even September for you, do you shift from like – like even less 
boots on the ground and even more just like long term glassing or like long distance glassing like just try and stay as far out of the woods as possible yeah i'll stay out and just glass long just especially september i don't want to be in there at all i only go in to check my cameras that one time and then i never go back in there i just stay out it's more my make sure my bow sighted in finalize my gear i'm glassing i'm trying to see like what non-residents are moving in because non-residents in Iowa don't even find out if they drew or not until, you know, a week ago or so. So a lot of guys got to scramble. So I don't even know what, where the pressure is really going to be until uh, later into the summer around that time. So I'm kind of watching for them, but a lot of those guys aren't coming until the rut. So it's hard, but I'm trying to dictate where people are going to be at. I'm glassing. And then I, I will run some cameras on field edges, and then I might check them and move them back during that time, but I don't run that many on field edges. Like I said, I just usually push them back. But if I do, I'll I'll push them back, you know, early September into spots where I think are going to be main hunting grounds and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, I think this year, in contrast to years past, I'm probably going to put more – cameras in in july in areas where i'll actually probably you know expect deer to be later in the fall like uh and, and there's there's probably gonna get pictures like even in the summer too right but yeah you know i never have really done all that much in terms of summer cameras historically just like as a general rule but i've started to do a little bit more in the past few years and like last year i, I put out more cameras than i probably have any year prior but I was also putting a lot of them on edges of clear cuts and things of that nature where they could see a little bit further. And I was trying to, you know, get a little bit more of a scan. Um, you know, sometimes those, those cameras will go off and you get a picture of a deer close, but then you see like three in the background or something like that. And it gave me enough Intel to be able to basically say, you know, okay, I identify like two or three deer that were like nicer but it's still paled in comparison to the amount of deer that showed up when I put cameras on, you know, better scrapes around bedding in mid to late October when they all started kind of hitting those a little bit more regularly. And so now this year I'll be setting cameras up in like those areas right from the get go. And if they don't get pictures in July or August, like not that big of a deal, maybe I'll get the excursion picture of a buck that's just like running that route. You know, just like that one random time in September or August or whatever. Um, and I might get an idea from that. But if they don't start getting pictures until mid-October, like, that's fine, too. It's kind of the, the strategy I'm trying to go with. And, like, ideally, I'd like to do a lot more glassing because I know how valuable it can be. But the timing is always, like, the biggest thing, right? I don't have a lot of land really, really close by. It's a drive. And with all the other responsibilities you're trying to get done during the summer, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that too. It's like, at some point I'd like to live closer to where I hunt. Cause that, you know, the drive just kills a lot of that, uh, like ability to be able to still get there before dark. Right. Or be able to like go yeah. out there and glass before work starts or something like that. Then you get the weekends. I think, uh, yeah, it is hard to get out. I agree. I try to get the places that are just close. If I'm going far away, I might camp on the weekend 
and then I'll just run around to some places and just camp for a night Mm -hmm. and then come back. And then this year, gas prices are going to be a thing to consider. Like how much funds do I want to blow for my hunting season during the summer glassing? Like I'll probably cut way back on like running around glassing and stuff like that. And even cameras, I'm going to strategically try to put like 10, 15 cameras out in a day instead of running out like and putting one or two here or there. Like, I'm just going to try to do it to save the gas money. So I think just glassing, like, top priority areas or areas where I know there's big bucks. And um, I think I'm going to go to doing a lot of active scouting with cell cams. Like, I might throw a cell, like, five cell cams out, and I might put them on field edges or something like that and just watch them and if they get pictures of a target buck then i might just go pull it and move it somewhere else or if i don't get any photos i might run out there and just keep moving them because i can see what's happening you know in real time off the uh cell cams and then when it gets later into the fall i can move them into areas where i tend to put them in areas i have the biggest bucks because i want to keep more tabs on it so like my top five bucks i'll usually put a cell cam somewhere in that area just to see if I can catch a picture of them so I can verify like what time they're moving and correlate that with the wind so I can kind of adjust to see what bedding area I think they're in or how far they're moving from the bedding area depending on what time I get that picture and that's more like my live intel and I can save some gas money than going out and like having to check cameras with the you know they have SD cards or whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely see how that, you know, in many cases certainly is a big advantage. So, apart from the cameras, apart from the glassing, we talked a little bit about the mock scrapes that you basically make them in a similar style to like the Jeffster, just, you know, scrape. And apart from those three activities, is there anything else that you do in the summer that from an Intel standpoint is maybe unique or or something that you feel like is still pretty valuable to your overall method? Um, if it's if it's legal to shine, like I said, I think that adds a lot, but that's nothing new. Like Dan Infall does a lot of that shining. You just pop out, see what time the bucks are hitting the fields, and you can kind of correlate that with, the, with how far they're betting away by what time they're in there. I mean, I don't have... I don't have like one strict system. I'm like taking a hodgepodge of info from everybody and just kind of making it my own. And I'm doing like multiple things because I don't think there's like one, one perfect way. Everything has pros and cons. So I'm just trying to mix, uh, something from everybody that I learned that I think are pros and just try to do it all and just go off of that. Um, I would say, don't be afraid to go in the woods. If you want to go boots on the ground, just smash in there, man. Get it done. Look at your accesses. I will say that some of the spots, I guess what I do a little differently is, um. so I might take that back. I do one thing differently than what you hear a lot of guys do. My postseason spots, the best spots I might roll back into in the summer because I want to see what the foliage is like. So if I videoed a tree postseason, and I know I'm going to hunt there because it was just red hot. There's massive rubs or there's a community scrape. I will roll back in there in the summer. And I want to see what the foliage is like, 
what shooting lanes got covered up that I thought I could get away with during the postseason. I want to look up at that bed because I already know where the bedding is. I might get to where I think that tree was, and I'm going to look up towards the bed, see how dense it is because you might pick up on something when it greened up that you didn't see when you were in there in the postseason. They, you might be able to get a little closer and you can do that when you scout your way in. But if you're there hanging cameras in the area and stuff, you might as well slide through there. And you're not going to hurt that bedding area in the middle of summer. Because some of those bucks move in there in the fall. Like, they're not even going to be there when you're there. Some bucks are there year-round. But they're used to, like, people hiking and bird watching and stuff like that. You know, that little bit of human pressure is not going to hurt anything. So I will check that out. So that's a little tidbit, like, that I don't really hear a lot of people doing per se. Do you look at mast or like what trees might have acorns on them? Yeah, I will take the binos and look for like acorns. Um, I use like different apps that show like where acorns should be at. And I might roll in there and check it. You know, like some of those spots that we were talking about when we e-scout and we message back and forth, like I'll look for that little mass crop area where I think the buck will dump off this bedding into the stage. I'll look for like certain brows too. Um, like you mentioned that you think the brows makes it a little harder early season if they stop. And I almost think it's easier because I think you can uh, you can predict that buck's movement a little bit better if, I think he's going to slide into an area the browse or like that secondary food source, kind of like the honey locust pods. Like it actually helps me key in on what bedding area. Cause not every bedding area might have that good browse or thick browse. They might not have like acorns, but another one. Well, so I'll, if we have the same wind and you got, say you got a West wind and there's three bedding points that he could be on, but you got a little acorn, crop over here on one of them i'm probably going to slide in on the one with the acorns to hunt or if i know two of them are really open but there's some really good brows on that third one then i'm probably going to pick that third one with the really good brows to slide in early season and hunt okay that's that's a really good way of looking at it because number one if a guy is hunting early season he might actually like just some random guy might be less likely to pick the one that has a whole bunch of extra brows and whatnot because it's thicker. In general, you might not be able to see as well. Uh, and then number two, like you said, like having that food source around the bedding where the deer can get up and just hang her out there for a little bit before going to the primary, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because I feel like those, the mature deer, they take forever to get to the main food source, so they like to stage up until dark in those secondary food sources. And I think... If it's a little thicker area too, you can you can get in there a little easier because it's harder for the buck to see you when you mm-hmm. make your move to slide in there. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. All right, well, I, I feel like we covered the summer aspect pretty thoroughly. Next time we have you, I'll we'll probably talk about early season setups and strategies specific to that. Yeah, man, for sure. There's a lot of there's a lot of strategies and stuff to dive into for early season hunting. 
That'll do it for this week's episode. As always, make sure to follow the Sportsman's Empire on Instagram and Facebook. Leave a five-star review on iTunes. And if you're looking for additional content from myself, subscribe to DIY Sportsman on YouTube and hit the bell icon to be notified of new videos. You can also follow DIY underscore Sportsman on Instagram. And with that, thanks for listening.